0: Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the ginger prince of baseball, Bob Finkbeiner, and the silky smooth vocals of Jason Ruggiero. Bob, how are you tonight?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Jason, how are we doing?
1: I'm good. We're,
2: we're putting the band back together.
0: We really are. This is, yeah, this is like old-timey podcasting.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's good to have everyone together. I'm excited for all the hot takes that are going to be happening tonight.
2: This Why would, why would there be hot takes, Andy? We should,
0: we should preface this episode with Uh, There will be plenty of takes, and they will be hot. They will probably be hotter than any hot takes that we've had this year. The trade deadline edition loaded with hot takes. Let's do it. All right. So usually we open up our show with the topic of the day. We're not even going to waste time with that today because there is so much. This was a busy trade deadline. It was – I feel like it was much busier than last year's trade deadline. I don't know whether – whether it really was or not, but it feels like it was. I don't know, What did you guys think about this trade deadline, just generally speaking? Did it feel more action-packed? What did you think, Bob?
1: Uh, it did. I was on my way to the, the YMCA to work out, and my phone kept uh, alerting me to another trade, another trade, and another <laughs> trade, and then trades after the fact, and up more updates. And I got home this evening, and I was online just browsing interwebs obviously and someone had sent out something about this is the most active trade deadline period in at least the last 20 years
0: yeah according to uh, espn stats and info there were 18 trades made today um so there were 50 players involved and that was the most on a day of non waiver trade deadline in the wild card era so that's since 1995
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so it wasn't just like subjectively like, ooh, yeah, this felt felt busy because there was like one big trade that kind of was, you know, happened at the end or there was like lots of chatter. It was literally 18 trades today. That's a lot. That's a lot of dealing. Uh, And I don't know, and I'm kind of curious too. I mean, I feel like this year and I have to actually go look at it, but I feel like this year the Indians and the Pirates were much more active than they have been in years past. Did you kind of notice that too, Jason? Well,
2: that's what I was going to say. You know, when you talk about a bunch of trades, the fact that the Indians and the Pirates were doing stuff (laughs) uh, definitely contributes to that. I guess, you know, the Indians have had deadlines where they have shipped out a lot of players. Um, But, Bob, you can chime in, but I think this is probably the most... I can't remember the last time the Indians brought in, you know, really anyone like Andrew Miller level, but, um, you know, just being active, try, you know, talking about seeing them out in the rumor mill is not normal for them. Like seeing them attached to Lou Croy, Beltran, Miller, uh, you know, Steve Pierce on and on and on. That's not normal
1: for the Indians. Especially when you consider discussing them acquiring players, not <laughs> right. right. away players. Yeah, and I right. think it is I think it's important to
0: note too. I mean, they were in on on big names. They were in on the biggest name reliever, they were in on the biggest name bat that was available. And then I mean, you keep going down the ladder to see some of the names that that they were in on. You know, they were they were a they were a big player at the table this year when it came down to the trade deadline. It was it was interesting to see. I th- I think you can tell that the Cleveland Cavaliers winning that championship has got Cleveland in in championship fever.
2: Well, I think that, but I also think, you know, we've heard whoever's running the Indians front office for the last 10 years say, when the time is right, when the time is right, we'll spend. If you look back, really, at the records, they've never been in the last 10-so years in the lead at the trade deadline. Like, they've never been sitting five games up in the division you know, it was one of the best records in the league. Right. So you could make a case, I'm not saying it's right, but you could make a case that this was the time that they were finally talking about, you know, like when the team has actually lived up to expectation and is performing well, that's when we're going to make our move. And I think, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, I guess you could say, well, financial constraints played into lucroi but we can get into that i don't know that's really the problem with lucroi but they had money to spend obviously you know they they didn't make the yankees pick up any of andrew miller's salary um they were still in on you know several like five to ten million dollar players right up to the end so they were willing to spend if they could get the players they wanted
0: now, before we get into the trade deadline, because that's what we're going to spend the majority of today's podcast talking about, this is a very this is the trade deadline edition of Tri-State at the Plate uh, this year. But before we get into that, I want to talk about something that you guys can shed some light on because I didn't see the full narrative unfold. Um, but the other day, Billy Butler and Chris Jimenez had some <laughs> some exchanges. Now, I, you know, I saw this on the replays, so again, I didn't see the full context of of what what had transpired between the two. They did not seem, from what I collected, very happy with one another. So I, I don't know, Bob. Can you can you give us a little give us a little rundown on on what occurred between Chris Jimenez and Billy Butler?
1: I may have to defer to Jason this one also because I only saw a uh, like a review, <laughs> recap of it. Although I'm not really sure. Maybe Jason knows more about what happened. I can tell you what transpired a little bit, but we'll let maybe Jason the situation. Well...
2: I mean, uh, I think we could sum up what led up to it is that Billy Butler uh, has a history of being offended.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I'm not really... Um, uh, boy, I can't recall. It Was uh, was that Sunday's game? Or was mm-hmm. that Saturday?
1: Yeah. Sunday. Uh, it
2: was during the day.
1: No, was it was Saturday's game. Because Perez caught Sunday, I thought. Hmm, might be right. And Bauer Bauer was thrown in Saturday. Oh, so it must have been Saturday then. Well,
2: we're boring people deciding what day. <laughs> yeah. Bob, tell us what the aftermath was.
1: In essence, I think at first, wasn't it Butler talking the home plate umpire? Yeah, I think and so. Jim was, was not... talking the home plate umpire. And it was a pitch thrown... Not even near close to hitting Butler. No. Inside down by his knees. I don't know if it was called a ball or strike. And they're kind of yapping a little bit. And then he threw another one. They probably kind of couldn't have ball down the way. Again, same situation. Nope, kind of close to the strike zone. But I don't know what was being said. And all of a sudden, Jimenez basically stood up tall and he's a tall dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, in essence, was basically saying if you want to have. Discussion about this, we can have it
2: right now. Yeah,
1: there was some scuttlebutt that
2: perhaps uh, Billy Butler was uh, mentioning that uh, Chris Jimenez's employer was looking for a replacement for him, <laughs> 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 and that perhaps that didn't sit well with Chris Jimenez. Yeah,
0: I think I think one of the the issues that this kind of highlighted, though, that I thought was kind of interesting, that that people, it, I guess it's been the the new market inefficiency that teams have been targeting, which is pitch framing. Uh, you know, the whole the whole hoopla started because Chris Jimenez was trying to take a strike that Billy Butler thought was maybe a little too egregious. You know what I mean? Like it was it was on that one-two pitch and and Jimenez, Jimenez's quote about it that that I saw was he said, I thought we had a good pitch, a cutter away. Going back on the video, it was probably a hair outside. Uh, I didn't say anything, but I made an oomph sound. So, <laughs> yeah, I, it, I I thought that was kind of interesting, you know. Like, and and you hear teams talk about how you'll hear a lot of people, I guess, in baseball talk about how, you know, they don't like to call it pitch framing. You know, they don't like to say that you're stealing strikes. It's more just like you do a good job of, of showing the umpire where the ball comes across the zone. Uh, right. And you know, you can see. <laughs> I guess this would be a situation where uh, pitch framing got Chris Jimenez into into a little uh, kerfluffle with Billy Butler. But the but Billy aftermath Billy Butler
2: is easily offended.
0: Yeah, he, he is. I mean, that's just part of the game. That's gamesmanship. But you know, we're we're heading into August. It's the dog days of summer. Tempers are gonna flare over dumb things in baseball all the time. The aftermath, which is what, you know, I saw in the replays, was my favorite part though because tomlin served up butler a fat pitch and he just mule hacked it and it was like not not quite as good a jose bautista bat flip but it was a pretty <laughs> it was a pretty aggressive bat flip and you saw him and just ripped that mask off and just start chattering right away Well, <laughs> oh, that was that was what i was like oh this is going to be a good home run trot. and then did you guys see what Jimenez said to butler after he took off his mask that was that was my favorite part about that did you did you did you see what he said? Any did either of you see? No. Oh my god, he he said to Billy Butler, "I'll be waiting for you when you come back here." <laughs> <laughs> like maybe he was gonna scare Billy Butler from coming around third, and Butler was just gonna touch third and run right into the dugout. Like but... I'll be waiting for you when you come back here. It was like like a like a sixth grader saying, "Hey, I'm gonna meet you down at the footbridge after school."
2: <laughs> that yeah, was well, I'm pretty favorite. sure that's a lot of what chatter behind home plate is sounds like a couple elementary school kids yeah well i was telling you guys before we started recording what tom hamilton's uh take on the billy butler situation was which is uh <laughs> to say that there's not an ounce of fat on chris Jimenez, but you can't say the same about billy butler
0: <laughs> <That's> just <laughs> Throwing shade at Billy Butler, that poor guy. <laughs> so,
2: it was getting real lowbrow at that <laughs> point.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's below the belt that is hanging under the gut, that's <laughs> hanging over the belt. That's not that's not fair, Tom Hamilton. <laughs> Come on. But So, that, that was definitely uh, an exciting, non-trade rumor-related moment that happened uh, over the last few days leading up to the trade deadline. Now... Can we dig into like the meat and potatoes of this podcast, which is going to be talking about all of the trades that happened, some of the trades that should have happened but didn't happen, uh, and, and then at there's... least
2: one trade that you wish didn't
0: happen. Oh,
2: <laughs> just, yeah,
0: it's gonna it's gonna sting a little bit talking about this one. Uh, so where do you, where Wait, do you guys? I
2: got one more thing. I got one more thing to say about Billy Butler. What if if Billy Butler was really quick? Okay. And Christian has said to him, "I'll be waiting for you when you get back here." Billy Butler could have said, "We'll see, we'll see if you're demoted back to AAA by
0: then. <laughs> you should write a movie. See, you should write the next Major League because that's a perfect line, right? Like, that's a great, that's a great response.
2: But I have a feeling like nobody's that quick in that situation. Like it's probably like George Costanza on Seinfeld in the Jerk Store called, like. <laughs> You think of it later, and you're like,
0: "Oh,
2: you're like, dang it, that was That's so good." <laughs> and then, and then you tell your friends that that is what you said.
0: Oh man, yeah, that would have been good. Um, all right, so where do you, where do you guys want to start off with Cleveland trade deadline talk? What are we What are we going to touch on first? Well, we can start off
2: by the fact that you guys woke me up with my phone exploding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a Sunday things get, morning. Things got out of hand.
2: With a text from Andy that just was N with about 14 O's after
0: it. <laughs>
2: and I thought, uh oh, what's going on?
0: <laughs> it was a tough morning.
2: So I check my phone and I go, like I'm all like bleary eyed. And I'm like, oh, they traded for Jonathan Lucroy. Holy shamoleans. And I'm like all bleary eyed and I don't see the name Bradley Zimmer or Clint Fraser. And I'm like, oh, Maja. Okay, fine. And then I scroll all the way up, and it's like, one minute ago <laughs> Clint Frazier and Justice Sheffield for Andrew Miller. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Who's running this team? Because it's not Christine Tonetti.
0: <laughs> and that is where my no emanated from. So, Andrew Miller, uh, the Yankees relief pitcher, widely regarded as the best relief pitcher. Uh, in baseball right now, and objectively you can make a pretty solid argument for that uh, stance, I would say. But Andrew Miller came over from the Yankees, uh, left-handed power relief pitcher. It it seemed like a very un-Cleveland move, but I will say it seems like the direction that baseball is going right now, which is following that kind of... uh, Kansas City Royals blueprint for how to how do you win a World Series now so you win it with defense and you win it with a shutdown bullpen and well, there's a couple things you know number one Cleveland's bullpen has been awful yeah less than stellar all year and yeah. number two Tito's favorite thing to play around with is relief <laughs> pitchers this is the like this has got to be like Tito like Tito's dream trade at the deadline had to have been Andrew Miller right? Like, that's 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 what he was begging people for at the trade deadline, wasn't he?
2: Well, I'm sure what he was begging for was like, what about Chapman and Miller? And then, when we get Lucroy, get Will Smith and Jeremy Jeffers too. And then <laughs> and then Jose Ramirez can just play two positions at once, and I can have 12 relievers. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what he was saying. That's but Tito. there was so much bubble gum in his mouth, he couldn't understand him.
0: Tito's trade deadline dream. I don't know, so... All right, so I'm, I'm a Pirates fan. I guess that's primarily the team that I follow. I mean, I, I have emotional attachments to Cleveland uh, because, you know, especially and especially since we've started this podcast, uh, you know, now I follow Cleveland's prospects much more closely. So the return for Andrew Miller is what prompted me to text you at 8.30 in the morning with a, a wolf howl, just an emotional guttural uh, via text message howl. That it, it hurt me to the core. The return for Andrew Miller was started with Clint Frazier, the Indians' best outfield prospect. Uh, went to Justice Sheffield, which you guys would have a better feel for. But I'm assuming is he like Cleveland's first or second best prospect, uh, pitching wise.
2: Um. Well, I think Brady Aiken's usually ahead of him, and I'm not sure if is Clevenger is ahead, ahead of him, him. But he's close. I mean. Uh... He, I mean, he's the second or third best pitcher, right, Bob?
1: Yeah, I would say <clears throat> with the current state, current state of affairs, I actually have Aiken drop down a little bit with the struggles currently coming back from post-Tommy John. I'd probably have Clevenger and Sheffield like my 1A and 1B. Yeah. Right from from what I've collected, doesn't it sound – it's
0: I mean, I guess it sounds to me like Sheffield has a higher ceiling. Uh, it
1: depends on what you read, though, too. <clears throat> Some people knock him down because of his size. Yeah, they say yeah. Cause his physical stature is a little bit more uh less desirable as a rotation piece, but obviously for baseball r- in relief. But th- they still seem they're high on him as starter going forward.
2: I think though, generally, there is like some knocks against Sheffield where he's viewed more as like a high floor, low ceiling kind of lefty with. You know, his diminutive size and those things maybe aren't necessarily fair, but we all know that's how scouts categorize people. Um, But, yeah, I mean, he definitely is one of the top three pitching prospects or was one of the top three pitching
0: prospects for the Indians. And so then there were two other players in the deal, too. Correct. So we had Frazier and Sheffield.
2: Yeah, there was. JP Fireisen, who is a minor league reliever, who was kind of on like this Kyle Crockett kind of path where he was just like rocketing through the minors and like rattling off long scoreless ending streaks. Um but again, I mean we want to talk trade value. What trade value does a double A reliever really have? You know I mean? There's guys who can fill that role, right? I mean um I mean, just look at Kyle Crockett. He rocketed up through the system and then has basically yo-yoed back and forth. Um, Seems to be a little more adjusted currently, but (laughs) has had some really ugly stretches with the Indians and some really good ones. Um, And then Ben Heller, who's a young pitching prospect. And Bob, do you know a little bit more about Heller?
1: Yeah, Heller... It sort of comes in the same fashion that the Tribe has done in years past, taking these guys that have <clears throat> one or two, you know, above average to, you know, roll good you know, pitches. And then maybe might work on a third or might not. And just kind of make them like a bullpen piece. Uh, he was drafted in the 22nd round in 2013. I believe a small Christian school. And he throws hard. He's, he can hit 100 miles per hour, upper 90s consistently. And the talk I've read, I guess, so far has them thinking Heller might be possibly debuting in New York this season still. And if not, will be very long before perhaps he's setting up a Tancis. Wow.
0: So I think it's safe to say, c- can we all agree that Brian Cashman is a witch? That's. <laughs> he basically took the Yankees farm system from like a middle-of-the-road farm system featuring Aaron Judge to like, now he's like a top... I don't know, what six, seven farm system? I well, mean that's good because he's what... got
2: nothing left out on the field in the A <laughs> Stadium. Trading, right.
0: trading two relief pitchers. You built you rebuilt your farm system. Who does that? Oh, yeah, he... but
2: we're talking about two relievers who got contracts or could get contracts of just shake your head level proportions. I mean
0: Unreal. I'm that's we're talking
2: a thing about too. relievers signing like five year sixty million dollar contracts on the open market.
0: Yeah, and they have, I mean, Miller's locked up. And I will say for the Tribe, I mean, if you're going to give up Clint Fraser, which I still, so so now that I'm unpacking this trade, uh, I I still feel like in the long term, and I don't know how you guys feel, but this is how I feel, uh, you know, on the, the periphery of, of the Indians uh, fandom. But... I feel like in the long term, like Cleveland understands that they mortgage their future with Clint Frazier uh, going to the Yankees. But if you're going to do that, you've got to feel better about it, at least that you have control of Andrew Miller for this year, next year, and I think, what, 2018? Yes. So you get, you know, two and a half years of Andrew Miller, at least. Uh, even if it is only, you know, 70 innings a year and two and a half years of control relative to the, you know, six years you're going to get out of Clint Frazier. That How how do you guys feel, I guess, about the the Andrew Miller trade, Uh, you know, the return of Andrew Miller for Clint Frazier and Justice Sheffield and and those other players? Bob, what do you think?
1: The more I thought about the deal, I like it. I hate losing the fact that I could have been, you know, basically my doppelganger watching him play (laughs) in Cleveland for the next half year, seven years. But uh, that's not happening, at least not in Cleveland. But to me, I think Cleveland actually dealt from a source of a little bit of strength. They still have Zimmer. They took another outfielder that uh, was Will Benson in the first round yep. this year. And he's he starting out very well in Arizona. They have other guys that don't have the pedigree, perhaps, of Frazier, but they still have traits that will be valuable for the big club. And I think the emergence, honestly, of Jose Ramirez as a near everyday player. Give them some insurance to make this deal.
0: You know what I was going to say, and this this was,
1: you know, I'm glad you brought
0: this point up. I feel like this uh, justifies all of the love that I've had for Tyler Naquin over these last couple years. Like Cleveland is looking <laughs> at Tyler Naquin right now, and they're going like, "All right, I think we, I think we got something with this guy. We can give up Clint <laughs> Frazier now." I, I feel like it's validated all of my Tyler Naquin love. The trading of Clint Fraser. So I will say that's one. Uh, one positive thing that's, that's come from this trade. Jason, how do, you, how do you feel about the trade as far as being an Indians fan and your return and what you had to give up to get Andrew Miller?
2: Well, there's no question it's a lot. Um, but, you know, you think of it in terms of the Chapman trade uh, where they give up Gleibers-Torres for two months of a role as Chapman plus other things. Uh, but you know, as not a Cubs fan, I don't know any of those other players. Like I know the Indians prospects. Um, so I guess that's where you get the inclusion of Sheffield, right. You know, cause again, you're talking two and a half years as opposed to two months. Um, you know, and I mean, part of it, right. Is like, it's like everything else when, when you, follow prospects, and you study prospects, and you invariably, invariably fall in love with certain prospects, you perhaps see them through a uh, certain
0: rosy-colored ros- lens,
2: rosy-colored glasses, right? Yeah. Um,
0: ginger-colored glasses. Is that
2: ginger-colored one? glasses in this <laughs> case, perhaps. I mean, that's why it's hard for teams to ever come to deals, right? Because teams invariably value their own prospects higher than other teams value them, right? So, like, the team's opinion of Frazier is probably not in line with other teams' opinion of Frazier or Sheffield or Heller or Fire. You know what I mean? Whatever the case right. might be. But, um, I mean, when I look at it, um, I mean, I was initially shocked i mean saturday morning you and i were talking and we were discussing how it had been rumored that fraser was untouchable but we both commented untouchable unless there was something great that came along and apparently they thought that andrew miller for two and a half years was that thing and when you look at the club the more and more you look at it like bob saying the more and more it starts to make sense um you don't really have room maybe for naquin Zimmer, Frazier, Brantley, Jose Ramirez, etc. Uh, I mean, you've been dra- drafting outfielders in the first round for like the last five years. <laughs> I mean, isn't the idea that at some point you're going to deal from a position of strength? Um, and I think what it shows, and of course what they were really trying to do is completely dispel the narrative, but part of it fell apart, but was that no, no, guys, we weren't kidding. When the team was performing, when the time was right, we were not going to shy away from going out and getting what we needed. And I think it's pretty clear this year what they need is a catcher and a closer, or at least a back end reliever. So, in very uncleven like fashion, they went out and got the best damn reliever they could find. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I assume they were going to settle for you know uh sergio romo or
0: something right know, kind yeah. of
2: like half washed up former you know back-end reliever kind of thing
0: right you go get like the daniel hudson that was kind of who i was thinking in my head i'd be like ah, oh, that's a very cleveland trade like go right to the diamondbacks get daniel hudson
2: Well, you can see that they came back to that, right, when they went out and got Brandon (laughs) Guyer. Right. Nobody knows who Brandon Guyer is, but you look at his splits and he mashes left-handed pitching. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe that was a good deal,
0: right? Fitting that outfield platoon just fine.
2: Right, but nobody knows who this guy is. And so on Cleveland.com, Brandon Guyer doesn't play very well. Right. Uh, Andrew Miller does. Jonathan Lucroy sure does. Um I don't know. I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, what what are they basically saying? Is uh, flags fly forever, right?
0: You cannot, if you're a Cleveland fan, I feel like you cannot touch this front office through next year's trade deadline. Like you, you just can't. They went out and they did what every fan wants their team to do, which is go get the best player that they could to fill a, a need that their team had. Now, interesting.
2: The interesting thing I, w- I was going to say is, you know, <clears throat> living where we do, you know, we're kind of halfway between you know, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And one of the teams that I kind of moderately follow is the Pittsburgh Penguins, who, of course, have rattled off quite a uh, successful run in the last 10 years. And one of the things the Penguins constantly are doing is filling up their farm system with good players and not being afraid to flip them at the trade deadline. They do it all the time. And at first (laughs) you see like almost what has played out with the Indians where there's this like, Oh, we traded so-and-so. Right. And then the guy goes out and comes through in the clutch and that's not an issue anymore. So-and-so who, what? Hmm. I mean, it's just like, it seems like, You can say, okay, well, we're going to build up our farm system and we're just going to keep throwing things against the wall and we're going to build up all this incredible depth and use that to open up a window of competition and a window of competition is great, but there's certain times when things seem to be breaking your way. I mean, not every year is Jason Kipnis going to have a career year or... Uh, Josh Tomlin gonna go twelve and four and Mike Napoli have like twenty home runs at the all star break. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah. Baseball you, go, you look back at two thousand seven and that was a special team and a special year and they pretty much went out and got nothing but Kenny Lofton at the trade deadline and they came up one game short.
0: Baseball's so it like... a it's 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 a weird sport because you play out this entire regular season and I feel like <laughs> The, the regular season actually tells you more about who the best teams in baseball are than, you know, who you crown the World Series champion because you play 162 games. You know, you just dog it out from the freezing cold days in April until the freezing cold days, you know, yep. like at the at the end of, of uh, or at the beginning of October. And then the, the playoffs start, and it's all just a crapshoot. Like, it's literally, like, you can get, statistically speaking, The playoffs are just a crapshoot. Well,
2: I mean, mean, I'm not disagreeing. That's the whole, like, one of the takeaways of Moneyball, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Billy
2: Billy Bean could never solve the playoffs because there wasn't a big enough sample.
0: Right. And so, I mean, when you're Cleveland and you go and get a guy like Andrew Miller, you know, his 15, 20 innings that he throws in the regular season, they're not what you're paying for. No, you're paying for those seven, eight, ten innings that he's going to throw in the postseason, that you're hoping are good enough innings that nudge you through those series, you know, to eventually win you that World Series.
2: Well, right, because the way this structured, you can pitch Andrew Miller almost every day.
0: Right, yeah, enough off days, and yeah. All right, Bob. Hey. So what what should we talk about next? We got we got Andrew Miller trade checked off. I'm sad that Clint Frazier's gone. This is. The, the worst news of the trade deadline was Clint Frazier leaving. Wait, I so.
2: gotta say, I gotta say one thing because I said it to my wife last night as explaining this, and I, I was telling her what I had said to you guys earlier in the day, which is, you know, two thousand seven, you're one game away; ninety seven, you're one out away. Sometimes one guy's all you need. And I said, and I'll ask you this, Bob: whoever the top prospect was in nineteen ninety seven. July 31st, 1997, would you have traded the top prospect for a better closer than Jose Mesa?
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the reality, though, right? Well, that leads into my question for both of you guys, actually. We discuss this from the point of view of the Pirates-Indians fans. When's the last time that you can recall our teams trading away a top prospect and they went somewhere else and then had this huge or highly successful career you felt oh man what a, that's a i regret that trade it's a bad deal i i can tell you i can tell you the exact last time that that
0: happened for me <laughs> and it's it's going to come up later do you, do you want to hear it now or do you want me to save it for later <laughs> either way because the la- the last time it happened was 2003 when the pirates traded around mr Ramirez, when he was like 21 years old coming off like a 30 home run season or something like that that's and was he, a, I guess his situation is a little bit different because he'd already had yeah. a great season in Pittsburgh, but that's that, what I was
2: going to say. that's a little different, but we take your point.
0: Yeah. That's the last, it, it, it has happened, I guess. I if, mean,
2: <laughs> I went back to the 2007 Indians top 10 prospects. I don't have them all in front of me, but let me tell you, it was a, looking back is a grim list. Okay. <laughs> Adam Miller, Trevor Crow, Wes Hodges,
1: Oh, yeah, I'm glad we hung on to those guys.
0: Right. <laughs> That's an
1: interesting point. I like that. You know, I, I think back to Richie Sexton and uh, exactly. Brian Delms. Exactly. Exactly. That's one I come back to all the time. And those two guys were partially dealt, again, from the area of strength because they're kind of blocked with everyday playing time. Mm-hmm. But I also think back, and I then I realize this at first, and to do some homework, obviously, but Cleveland actually had obviously Chris Archer, and he right. was sent to the Cubs for Mark DeRosa. Yeah, I remember that. And eventually, obviously, the Cubs would deal Archer to Tampa Bay and the Matt Garza trade, and, and Archer's gone on to be a pretty high-regarded young pitcher. But otherwise, I can't think of many guys thinking, "Oh man,
2: wish we had them still." Because even when you get to AAA, it's still a crapshoot.
0: Right. Oh, I mean, when you when you start talking about, uh, I guess when you look at prospects, you look at age and progress, or you look at pedigree. And so, like, you can look at Clint Frazier, and he has both. Like, he has, you know, he's 21, he's made tons of progress. He's, you know, he's already, Cleveland had promoted him to AAA, like, what, the week before? And he has the pedigree. You know, he's like a blue-chip, first-round draft pick. Um... And so I guess those are the ones that are harder to deal with trading, I would think, than, uh, you know, like, the 19-year-old Chris Archer who you've drafted, you know, like, right out of high school and, you know, he's had, like, half a season, you know, like, playing in the low minors. Like, those ones don't sting because you're still talking about, like, six degrees of removal from the majors. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of a time since I've really started following baseball that you've seen a, like a real true legitimate blue chip prospect, like Clint Frazier go from Cleveland or Pittsburgh to another team in a deal like that. Right. Um, A lot of that on Pittsburgh's end is just because they've John van Ben has been like the, (laughs) the caliber (laughs) of first round traffic that they've had prior to the, you know, the Huntington era taking over, but.
2: Well, but that's the the thing though, too, right? I mean, uh, it's like you said, age, progress and pedigree, you know, but. B.J. Upton had that going for him, too.
0: Right, right, yeah.
2: I mean, it's like, I'm not saying, and I don't, that's the thing, I don't wish any ill on Clint Frazier. I hope he has a successful career, but, you know, there are, I mean, Clint Frazier, you know, he has incredible bat speed, which generates amazing power. I often wonder how that
0: skill will age. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's you a- know. Valid, definitely a valid point
2: I mean he has corrected his uh, inability to handle off speed pitches in the minor leagues you know I, I think his strikeout totals will rise once he goes to the majors I'm not saying it's going to be a problem but um, it, it's kind of like a 4 to 1 ratio in double A which doesn't bode well for his strikeout to walk ratio in the majors I'm just saying, that's what I'm saying about the rose-colored glasses, you know. When he's on your team, you can easily kind of dismiss those from the outside. I think it's easier to see the flaws, maybe. Right.
0: Okay. Uh, so, Bob, what, what, do you, what do you want to talk about next? I guess we can <clears throat> quickly mention about the Brendan Geyer trade. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. We'll- this, one, this one's not
0: going to take too much time to unpack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our next one, we're gonna we're gonna need. This is gonna have to be divided up into like four podcasts. <laughs> All right. So
1: Bob, go ahead and tell us. Uh, Brandon Geyer. Brandon Geyer, outfielder from Tampa Bay, was traded to Cleveland and returned. Uh, Tampa Bay received uh, outfield prospect just promoted to high Lynchburg, Nathan Lucas. 7th round draft choice, 2015 from Cal. Pretty solid hitter, but again, development-wise, we'll see what happens. And then a relief, or not relief, mixed guy now. Right-hand pitcher can't pronounce his first name properly. Last (laughs) name is Pitching for the Arizona Indians right now. So, we'll find out what his value is, if anything, in probably about five years, six years. So, the Brandon Guyer trade,
0: not a sexy trade. Uh, certainly, when you're comparing it to the the Andrew Miller deals, but how how could how could this be like a how could this be a beneficial trade for Cleveland? Like, why was Brandon Guyer a player that they went out and targeted?
2: Well, uh, he kills left handed pitching. <laughs> yeah.
0: So he, yeah, he's gonna fit. He's gonna fit just so, fine in that platoon outfield, isn't he?
2: Right. So whether and he can play actually, I guess uh, all three outfield spots. So whether it's uh, Davis or um, Naquin or uh, the
1: Chiz. Chiz and Hall.
2: Chiz and Hall. You know, he's the perfect platoon partner for what the Indians have going in the outfield right now is basically what it comes down to. Like a better version of Ryan Rayburn. He's a better version of Ryan Rayburn, and unlike Abraham Almonte, he's eligible for the postseason. Correct. <laughs> And that really, though, I think is a factor because Almonte has been um, used to moderate success uh, in the last couple weeks, but he won't be eligible for the postseason because of his suspension. So, you know, they needed someone and Carlos Beltran can't play the outfield anymore. So that wasn't very realistic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so not the not the big ticket sexy trade that Andrew Miller was, but still a trade that I think Cleveland is going to, to exploit to its advantage just fine. And I don't know, did you guys see years of control with Guyer? what? He... He's got two years
2: of arbitration left, right? Yep. Okay.
0: Yeah. So he had, a, did he hit his first year this year or was he a super two player? Arb one this year. Arb one this yeah. year. Okay. Yeah. So two more years of control for Guyer. yeah, I'm, I'm all right with that. I, Cleveland uses these guys like the Ryan Rayburns of the world and they get amazing seasons out of them. So yeah, yeah I I'd, I'd feel pretty good about that Brandon Guyer trade as a Cleveland fan.
2: Yeah. I right. mean, it's Like I said, it's not going to play well on dot cleveland.com, but
0: uh, yeah, right. But it's, it's, it's a going good trade. To, yeah. You're going to look at it the, at the, the finality, you know, when you get to the end of the season and say like, oh yeah. That worked out well. Now, I will say one thing I did not like about the Brandon-Geyer trade before we move on to our, our last Cleveland Indian trade deadline topic uh, was who they had to DFA. That It made me super sad that Juan Uribe, the he Juan Uribe era shoes. is over in Cleveland. I feel like Uribe was like that clubhouse guy that teams like Cleveland usually love. But I guess they're uh, they're moving on past the, the Juan Uribe era now.
1: He made a great bench coach. <laughs> I think,
2: Bob, you'd know better. Wasn't he batting like 206?
1: Yeah, it was right around the Mendoza line.
0: Yeah, he, he had as many testicular contusions as he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He... And
1: his defense was uh, not as Right, yeah, bat. which is
0: usually like what you think of, you know, when you think of Juan Uribe, you think of it like, well, you're going to get good defense at least. Yeah, he was not great defensively this year.
2: No. No. No 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 no.
0: <laughs> All right, so are you ready for our hot take topic? This is going to be the Cleveland hot take topic. Are we okay. are we ready to go down this rabbit hole? Okay. All right, we're doing it. So, Jonathan Lucroy was traded, technically kind of traded to Cleveland. Pending the his trade ac- was agreed to. Yes, there was right. a trade agreed upon. Uh the only issue was that uh, Jonathan Lucroy had, I think what was it, like eight teams that he could exercise a no-trade clause uh, on, and Cleveland was one of those teams on there. And so this trade, the, the trade was reported at some point in the middle of the night because when I woke up the next day, it was already on my phone, you know, as like Cleveland and, and Milwaukee have tentatively agreed to trade Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, yeah, because
2: at midnight there was nothing.
0: Right, yeah. So, you know, you wake up, you see that? And and I mean the nuts and bolts had been worked out. It was you know Jonathan Lucroy going to to Cleveland. The players in return uh, were going to be uh, Joe DiMaggio's replacement, Francisco Mejia, who's on like forty three game hit streak down in the minors.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, Greg Allen, uh, an outfielder in Cleveland system. Shortstop y- Yucheng Chang Chang. Uh, and was that it? Was that three of them Sean
2: Armstrong
0: yeah oh Sean Armstrong in the deal too so yeah it was a a nice return like especially with the strides that Francisco Mejia had made uh this year you know and that that hitting streak that he's on down there you know like every day I'm getting an update from my MILB app telling me that uh, Mejia's hitting streak is still going on I'm like man
2: well and Greg Allen's kind of uh, interesting I was kind of disappointed they traded him that wasn't like the
0: a killer, but I
2: was not like, oh, not man. like the
0: Clint Frazier.
2: <laughs> but I was like, oh, Greg Allen's kind of a cool prospect. He's stolen like 38 bases this year. Yep. Uh, he's like a top of the order kind of speedster outfielder. And uh, Armstrong's an interesting pitching prospect. He's kind of kind of wild, but. Uh, effective when he can find the plate <laughs> <laughs> kind of one of those guys that gets bounced around like is he going to be a reliever is he going to be a starter and then uh what was the other one? Oh, chen chang yeah or, yeah yeah well he but he's a shortstop right so it's right. like what do you need him for yeah you
0: <laughs> might as well, <laughs> might as well sell all those guys for whatever you can get
2: <laughs> i mean because honestly you've already got gonzalez ramirez and Oh, that guy named Frankie Lindor. So you're pretty well set there.
0: Which, and you know, the the great thing again about this trade when I saw it initially was uh, you went out and you got the best hitting prospect that was, you know, on the open market. And you had control of him for, again, for multiple years. Ah, but therein lies the rub, right, Bob? (laughs) All right, Bob. So break it down for us. What, What happened with
1: this Lucroy deal? Uh, Luke Roy basically told Cleveland that was well, agent. I guess supposedly, probably told him that he would only go there if they tore up the 2017 option on him.
2: Which right. Is... So it was going to be a two-month rental for those players.
1: Yeah. Then yes. suddenly he goes from
0: like a super great deal at five million dollars next year for the club option to like a two-month rental. Oh.
2: Yeah. Right, and I, I can assume that. You know, Mike Chernoff and Anthony called the Brewers back and said, uh, no, thanks. "Okay, if you want, if he was going to do this, then we have to renegotiate."
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, you're, that, you're not getting all four of those guys.
2: Right. Like I assume that that happened.
0: And um, I would assume that it would start with taking Mejia out of that deal. Like
2: <laughs> I would assume that as
0: well. <laughs> We're not giving you Mejia for two months of Lucroy. Right? Yeah. I, right, and that's because, what I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see, like, how quickly did this thing just fall apart? Well, and from what I understand,
2: he then came back and basically said, okay, I'm not necessarily seeding on the giving up the option, but if I were, <laughs> what's going to happen next year when Jan Gomes is healthy?
0: And right. this is when stuff like... This rabbit hole I'm telling you guys, go read go read some articles on it. If you haven't read anything, it's it's a dark, deep rabbit hole of weirdness no, that went that, up this Luke Roy train
2: It is, but to me, what I see portrayed in the articles you No know, and I've seen them from either side, and there's two sides to that story for sure, which is what you're basically getting at. <laughs> But from what I see from the Indians' perspective is completely what I would expect from the Indians. Whereas they were completely unwilling on July 31st, 2016, to tell Jonathan Lucroy, yes, unequivocally, you will be the starting catcher next year.
0: And doesn't that seem like the easiest white lie to... (laughs) You know what I mean? But
2: why would you do that? I mean, what if he shows up to camp with a peg leg? I mean...
0: Yeah, then I'd just be like, yeah, we don't care. But that's not how <laughs> the Indians do business. Yeah, I mean, it might be, like, bad business at the time, but, like, I feel like you can defend your de- – like, no matter what, you can always, as a front office, go back and defend your decision. And, like, it, I kind of take this back to, like, the – I kind of take this back to, like, the Chris Sale thing where – like, if you're the front office, why is that where you're drawing your line in the sand? And if if you're trading for Jonathan LuCroy, why don't you just be like, yeah, that's what we're going to do with you next year? And then when he leaves, be like, I don't care what we just told him. Like, we're going to do what's best for the team. Because, in all honesty, there's no reason to think that Jonathan Lucroy is not going to be better than Jan Gomes. Like, the the difference between LuCroy and Jan Gomes defensively is marginal at best and offensively like Jonathan Lucroy has been heads and tails better than Jan Gomes, you know, basically every year for the last five years. Um, Yeah. Just, just, just say, yeah, that's just say, yeah, that's what I, if I were in the front office, that would have been what I would have told, like they would have been on the phone and they'd have been like, Hey, he said uh, he wants to know if he's going to be uh, a starter next year. And my response would have been, yeah, just tell him. Yeah. Just,
1: yeah. <laughs> but how about this though? <laughs> wouldn't you think Luke Luke Cray is smart enough to understand that I'm sure he understands his value and worth as a player based on his performance, whether he's the the unequivocal number one starter behind the plate or not, he's going to play every day. This is my point. If he wants to get paid as a catcher, he'll play enough catching next year anyway. He'll probably relish the fact that he'd be less toll on his overall body and getting beaten down by it. Right. When, 2016s or 2017s over, he can still mark himself as a full-time catcher.
2: That's my thinking too, is like, come on, Jonathan Lucroy, right? who are you kidding here? <laughs> right. Like, of course you're going to catch. I mean, like, I, I think that's why, you know, I don't know that we're getting the full story. And I think the more hesitant everything became, my read of it is that it was just becoming more and more apparent. He really just didn't want
0: to come. That's and that's kind of what it's. Yep. When you unpack everything, that's what I think it kind of came down to was, yeah, he just didn't want to go to Cleveland. Which is a, not going to do that. Negotiate that clause either the option. Right. I mean, he's going to. Right. And so, like, you have to you have to understand that when you're Jonathan Lucroy, you know, okay, so if I turn down Cleveland, I'm not going back to Milwaukee. They've made it pretty clear that they're trying to move me for whatever. Like, could you imagine if he had to stay in Milwaukee for the rest of the year after this happened? Like how horrible would that be going to work every day for Jonathan Lucroy? And like the team, they just gave you a standing ovation when they pinch hit you. And you know that nobody in the front office wants you there. And you just have to do that. Like, you know, you're not going to be a brewer after the trade deadline. Yeah. And so, you know, like, okay, well, they tried to trade me to a contender. Like I asked them to a year ago. <laughs> And now I've made a whole stink about it, so now they're gonna trade me to a team that's not on my no trade clause. And like, what do you think that team's gonna do? Right. So like, well, that's
2: and that's the thing too, right? Because what are the Brewers gonna do after they get burned on this deal? If I'm in the Brewers front office, I'm gonna okay.
0: Well, there's yeah, there's 22 other teams, so exactly. But
2: that's what I'm saying. I would be like, those eight teams, we're not talking to them anymore. We're right. not doing this again. We're just going to ship his butt someplace where he can't say anything
0: about it. You and know, when this happened, what the, the first thought that popped into my head too? the first thought that popped into my head when he uh, when he was when he messed around with and ruined this Cleveland trade, the first thing that popped into my head was he's going to end up in Arizona. That's the place <laughs> that would just like their crazy front office would covet Jonathan Lucroy like he's the- Ted Williams and Braves were trying to get him (laughs) like that's that wouldn't that have been hilarious oh if you just ended up in like this awful team take that (laughs) (laughs) that was the first thing as soon as I read that I'm like oh man you'd better hope that Dave Stewart doesn't catch wind of this because you're gonna be be catching in Arizona
2: You're gonna be yeah, catching the so, ghost yeah. of Bronson Arroyo out in the middle of the He's desert.
0: Pretty fortunate that he ended up in Texas as it is. But yeah, so I mean they're gonna just exercise the five million dollar club option. That's the infection. thing,
2: right? Like, like I think yeah, I think you were saying this, Bob, like are you kidding me, Lou Croy? Like no one's gonna void that option.
1: Right.
0: No
2: one. No one's gonna do that. And the brewers are banking on you not voiding the option so they can get something for you.
0: Exactly. I mean the only way that the only way that you lose that option is the same way that every player who's in that position does the same way Andrew McCutcheon or Evan Longoria got rid of that option which is to sign a long-term extension right you know, where your first couple years are still team friendly and you you don't make your money until the back end so
2: and I'm sure that came up and I'm sure Chris Antonetti didn't even have to go ask Paul Dolan yeah and and I'm not saying that because it was going to be expensive I'm saying it because Chris Antonini's not signing a 31 year old catcher to an extension, right? Yeah, I mean that's Like, it's it's like uh, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, we're not doing
0: that. (laughs) Because you see, like, what do guys like Jonathan Lucroy turn into down the road? They turn into like the the Brandon Mosses or Mm -hmm. you know, like those those types of players where, like, yeah, okay, now you're as you get older, you start dwindling down to like the one tool player where all you can do is just swing hard and drive the ball. And, you know the further you get past 30, the the more likely you are that that season's gonna strike. so yeah Cleveland did not want to get stuck in that position I'm sure.
2: No no I mean they didn't want you know Joe Mauer right
0: right yeah right. exactly right there's another perfect example yeah.
1: So there's a component of this question here. Do you think the Cleveland front office has changed opinion or expectations of young Gomes then going forward? I think so. I, I think you have to. I'd... I mean, he signed through 2019, and he has two club options for 2020 and 2021. And they, but it's a team-friendly deal, right? It's not like it's... Yeah, it escalates to, like, five and a half next year, and then six and 18, and then seven and 19.
0: Which is still more than reasonable for, Yeah. you know, a starting but I catcher. Think,
2: I think he's definitely put on notice, right? I mean... I think so, Yeah. It, And now they still have uh, Mejia. Is that how we're saying his name? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in two years, right, in 2018, when that thing's about to go to roll the club options.
1: Well, club options hits 2020. Oh, 2020. Okay. Right now, 29 years old.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was always rather unlikely, right, that
0: He's going to make it gonna, to the end of that. Yeah. That they were going right. to
2: exercise those options, unless he was going to be a a Mike Napoli, right? Where you just move him to first base and he clubs home runs.
1: I mean, he's right. certainly
2: got, like, the frame for that, but he just can't square up the ball. He just can't hit anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, you know, then you start packaging in the injuries along with it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, you know, like Bob said, it's it's a lot of money for a team like Cleveland or Pittsburgh, you know, you're smaller to mid market teams, but it's not like, it's not like Nick Swisher or Michael Bourne crippling money. No, But that's um, the
2: interesting thing that Bob and I were talking about last night. And that's why I think Bob has, cause I was more okay with the Frazier thing from the beginning, although it was difficult, but Bob maybe was coming around to it. The idea of like, you've still got, you know, Naquin, Brantley, hopefully, uh, Ramirez, right. Chisholm Hall, Zimmer, Allen, Benson. You've got outfielders. But after uh, Mejia or Mejia, you have no one. You have no one. So that was the trade that was actually mortgaging the future. Like that was the trade in two years. If, if we're really saying their expectations of Jan Gomes were changing and that they were never going to extend Jonathan Lucroy, that was the trade you were really <laughs> going to feel yep. in 2018.
0: Interesting. So, I don't know, I I look at baseball very objectively, generally speaking. You'll see why I say generally speaking when I start talking about the Pirates uh, <laughs> trade deadline here in a minute. But generally speaking, I'm pretty objective. I don't have any ill will towards Jonathan Lucroy. I st- I will say, you know, he negotiated his contract with a very specific purpose. Cleveland was a team that he had on that list of teams that he did not want to be traded to for whatever reason. And he exercised his right that he had. I don't, I don't hold any ill will towards him. I hope he has a long and fruitful career and plays for whatever team it is that he wants to play for after this. But how do you guys feel as, as actual Indians fans about Jonathan Lucroy, Jason?
1: I hope Andrew Miller embarrasses him. <laughs> I was going to say, Game 7, ALCS. <laughs> Lucroy's up the bat, and Miller strikes him out. That's, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah. Perfect.
2: I think it's going to be somewhat akin to Lucroy's going to come up in Game 7 of the ALCS, and suddenly Andrew Miller is going to turn his back to home plate, much like Ricky Vaughn. <laughs> and against uh, what's that guy's name? Hartman there you go and he's just going to turn around and slap his glove and proceed to uh, mow down Jonathan Lucroy.
0: <laughs> that'd be a very fitting end wouldn't it
2: yeah that's my opinion I don't know what
1: about you Bob? I love that that's a great 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 story <laughs> <laughs> I will add real fast that Yon Gomes' BABIP right now is only 190. Yeah. Not a, He's not
2: exactly been lucky.
0: Not a lot of good things happening for Yon Gomes <laughs> at all this year. All right, so anything else we want to add with Cleveland before we move on to talking about Pittsburgh? I might have to go get another beer to make it through this segment, guys. I don't know.
1: Uh, Dane Salazar is <sighs> going MRI tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's hey. a good thing they didn't trade Clevenger. Yeah, I guess, uh, it was, I believe Callaway was saying that the MRI is more of a precaution to rest his mind. He has not noticed anything that would indicate that Salazar is hurt, but Salazar has said he's been feeling pain, not in the same area as Tommy John elbow area as last time, but a start or two before the all break and has not gone away yet. Bad
0: news. Bad bad news. Praying for the best. Yep. Don't like that.
2: Yep, Clevenger.
0: All right, are we ready to go talk about this trade deadline from the Pittsburgh point of view?
1: You remember I got another beer before you talk about them. You got worked up here.
0: <laughs> All right, you, you're gonna talk. You're gonna talk a little bit more because I'm I, seriously. I need to go grab another beer while you guys do this. Grab one. All right, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get started. I'll be right back in a second. Talk about whatever you need to. <laughs> I was
2: gonna ask you. The Indians pitchers have. Uh... Been pitching a little rough since Jan Gomes went down. Oh. Do we think that maybe not having Gomer back there uh, is uh, like we're seeing the the pain
1: of not having Jan Gomes behind the plate? I think so. I yeah. think it's a big thing. And one of the things before, like obviously it's not sexy, but the pitch framing skills, the I also want to say the relationship developed between catcher and pitcher, the battery mates, mm-hmm. is an important component. I mean, I, what we've seen so far from Trevor Bauer this year, especially when he has Jimenez behind the plate, is a totally different pitcher on the mound. Yeah, so composure is different. He seems like he's more focused. He doesn't seem to be rattled as often or as easily right. as in the past. And he seems to get through it. I believe I would say trust Jimenez – at least, you know, work together.
2: Yeah, I agree, right? Because that's the thing, right? Like you're saying, if it looks like Trevor Bauer is less rattled when he's, you know, hitting a rough patch, it's probably because he trusts just to throw whatever Chris Jimenez put down, right? Like, he doesn't have to think about it anymore. Um, And I think we're kind of seeing that with everyone. And... some of that, I think, will go away. I mean, Roberto Perez has only caught 10 or 12 games this whole year in the majors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, you're never going to really replace Gomes. I think it could be interesting, right? Because they're saying like it could be eight weeks. Like, Could we see Gomes come back like the last half of September and then rejoin the team for the playoffs? I think so. Yeah, I think I, that's an option. And I think at that point, they'd probably
1: keep Chris Jimenez, right? I would think so, too. I would probably option Perez back down to Columbus. And if the season's over, probably just tell him take a break for now. Yeah. But at the same time, though, rosters, rosters will expand in September. So you could carry all three.
2: You could carry all three in September. Yeah. How long does it take to get a beer?
0: Oh, hey, I'm back. I've been no. listening to this conversation for a while now. <laughs> God, everything sounded like it was going great without me. <laughs> I just thought I'd let it go. Well, uh, we're done with that. All right, we're all done talking about personal catchers? Okay. Yes. And this is where part one of our trade deadline podcast spectacular has to end. Make sure you tune in for part two, or we'll be talking about the Pittsburgh pirates of the trade. Uh, in the meantime, however, uh, if you want to catch us on the web, you can use so at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter, at tristatebb, and you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tsmbaseball. So, for Jason Ruggiero and Bob Trinkbinder, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.